Proverbs chapter 1 is where we're going to start this morning, but uh, we'll be looking at various passages as we give consideration to this study this morning, and I'll explain in just uh, a couple of moments why it is I decided to do this lesson on Proverbs. But this is just going to be kind of like an introduction uh, as we get into this this morning. Brian asked me if I was going to cover the whole book. <laughs> nope, not today. Uh, but from time to time, we may hit some lessons now from Proverbs. The word proverb comes from the Hebrew, which means to be like. In other words, as you look at the Proverbs, it's, it's almost like saying, it's like this. And so as you think of the Proverbs and you think about some of the comparisons that are made in Proverbs, over in Proverbs chapter 14, about verse 12, it says that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Earlier in Proverbs, the writer says, chapter 3, that we should trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. So it's kind of like this. <laughs> in your approach to life, listen to the Lord and lean on him, not on your own understanding. And keep it in mind that there are ways that seems right unto men that sometimes can lead to death. And so it's kind of like, it's like this. Now the reason why I say that at the beginning is for this reason. Sometimes people look at Proverbs and they go, well, that's not always the way it is. <laughs> Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, that may not always be the way it is. So let me say this about that <laughs> as we get into the study of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a part of the wisdom literature. And whenever we think about the wisdom literature, we think about Proverbs and we think about Ecclesiastes, and we think about the book of Job. And to understand these books, they're really better understood as a collection as you take them together. Because in the book of Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs is going to say, the one who gave this is a God of wisdom and a God who is just. And this is the way it should be. But sometimes it's not always exactly like this. The book of Ecclesiastes, on the other hand, takes a little bit different approach and brings up those facts. Well, you know, it doesn't always exactly turn out the way you've said. But in the end, after he explores his own ways in life, he reaches the conclusion, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Overall, as I've explored, it's better to follow the Lord. And that's what the book of Proverbs is saying. In Job, Job encounters all kinds of difficulties in life. And ultimately, he is restored. But along the way, he learns a lesson. And the lesson is this. Man may not understand in his limited understanding, in his limited ability. 
the universe and all that takes place and all that goes on. But God gives us enough information that we can learn to trust him. And we should trust him. And that's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. So as you take a look at the book of Proverbs, the proverb is a short saying which draws a contrast between two forms of behavior in order to teach some moral or religious wisdom. Did you get that? <laughs> a proverb is a short saying generally which draws a contrast between two forms of behavior. If you do this, it's better to do this. And it's trying to teach a lesson. Lean not on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. There's a comparison. There's a contrast there. And that's what the writer's trying to get us to see. Proverbs is a book that is concerned with the development of godly character. Kind of keep that in mind as we go through this and take a look at that. Also, keep in mind that Proverbs does away with the distinction between the sacred and the secular. Over in Proverbs, I'll just read this right quick. Over in Proverbs, the 20th chapter, and about verse 10, the writer says, Diverse weights and diverse measures, they are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So what the Lord, or what the writer of Proverbs is saying is that the Lord looks upon the way we conduct our life and he says, Diverse weights and diverse, diverse measurements, that's an abomination to the Lord. You go into the grocery store and you say, I want to buy a pound of meat, and they give you a half a pound and they charge you for a whole pound, and the Lord says, that's not right. <laughs> diverse measurements. As I was a kid growing up in California, you used to work at a gas station, and every once in a while there would be somebody that would come around with a government, and he would be carrying, literally, a can. And that can was exactly five gallons according to U.S. weights and measurements. And he would take the gas pump handle, and he would pump it in there, and when he got that can full, it better say five gallons on that pump. If it said two and a half, or if it said seven and a half, I guess maybe I should say, and you've been charging for seven and a half and you've only been pumping five, then somebody from the government's going to be coming to see you. And God would say, that's not right. So the God of wisdom and the God of justice is telling us this is the way in which we should live. Proverbs also teaches us something else. Proverbs teaches us that what is right is good. But it always doesn't always turn out that way. And see, that's something that we kind of have trouble wrapping our minds around sometimes. But in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul will say, Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus, that's good, that's right, shall suffer persecution. That's not good. 
And that's essentially what the writer of Proverbs is saying. I'm telling you things that are right, even though sometimes it may not necessarily turn out good. But you want to stick with what is right. So Proverbs strives to make us wise. Keep that in mind also. Proverbs is not trying to make you smart. It's trying to make you wise. And there's a difference. In the world in which we live today, because of technology and because of the Internet and so forth, I've got a small office back there you may have peeked in. But I've got a library that this room couldn't hold. And the reason is because of technology. I got all kinds of books and commentaries in my basement at home. I doubt if I'll ever bring them all here. It's no longer necessary. I'll bring some. While Bill was here, we talked about the old days and how preachers would buy books upon books upon books. And nowadays, you don't need to. But the problem is this. We have access to all kinds of information, and the problem is that sometimes we do not make the proper application of it. There's a difference between just knowledge and wisdom. The writer of Proverbs is trying to teach us how to be wise. Proverbs chapter 1, I want to read this just very quickly. Again, Brian read verses 1 through 9. But I want you to notice Proverbs chapter 1 and verses 1 through 6 and what the writer says. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. What the writer is saying is that reading this and come to understand it will give the simple or those with less knowing, less knowledge, it'll help them. And for the young man, it'll help him to set his course in life. And for those who are older and wise, he's saying, listen to what I have to say. And even you will gain greater wisdom. I, I want to deviate from the book of Proverbs for just a second, though. And I want to tell you why we're giving consideration to this. On Wednesday evening, we've been studying Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? On Sunday mornings, we're studying the book of Ephesians. And as you kind of look at those two together, of course, on Wednesday evening, it is kind of that big picture and that overview. But we've said all along that the goal is Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Christ in you, that's the individual, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But in Colossians, the second chapter, this is what it will say about Jesus Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Jesus Christ. And in Colossians chapter 1, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The writer of Proverbs and the writer of Colossians is saying essentially the same thing. God wants you to have this wisdom. God wants to help you in life. The book of Ephesians speaks of God's people as a totality. And in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in about verse 13, he'll talk about the church reaching the full stature and the maturity of Jesus Christ. That's what God hopes for for individuals. That's what he hopes for for the church, too. But as we've talked about on Wednesday evening, the Bible reveals that man created in the image of God is incapable, or, or is capable, I'm sorry. That man is capable of incredible things. Unfortunately, man is capable of incredible evil. And man is capable of incredible good. And in Romans, the sixth chapter, the Apostle Paul explains what makes the difference. And the difference is who controls the heart. Is it God or is it Satan? The book of Ephesians speaks about, I want you to turn over there for just a second. Ephesians, the second chapter and verses one through six. Now, we looked at that last week. We were a little further down in Ephesians two, chapter 2 this morning. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 6, it speaks about what God did even though man had turned away from him. In verse 1, And he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which he once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul says in verses 1 through 3, this is what your condition was. But in verse 4 he says, but God. But God did this. So once again, why Proverbs? Because down through the ages, God has tried to show man his wisdom. And he's tried to show him the benefits of applying that to his life. And the problem has been that man's affections were oftentimes set in the wrong place and on the wrong things. So Proverbs shows a contrast. I mentioned to Brian also in a couple of weeks, not next week, but in a couple of weeks. We're going to take a look at Proverbs 7. 
And the reason for that is very simply this. <clears throat> I believe that Proverbs 7 really kind of helps to set the tone for the entire book. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment as we take a look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1 and what is and what is stated there. Three points we're going to take a look at today. The author and the recipient or recipients and then the purpose of the book and, and then the the value of this book. But first of all, Proverbs chapter 1. If you're not already there, turn back there. I'm going to get there too. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1. And I want to read just that, that statement with you. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? <clears throat> Here's Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. It doesn't say, Larry, son of Wesley, king of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but see, the reason why I think that is so incredible and you're going to see this when we take a look at Proverbs 7. But this is just a hint this morning. This is Solomon. And when you think about Solomon, what comes to mind? Well, you go, uh, the book of Proverbs, right? <laughs> and he was the wisest man who ever lived. Does this ever cross your mind? He should have never been king over Israel. Wait till we take a look at Proverbs 7. Then you'll never read Proverbs 1 the same again. It's almost like it's a declaration. This is Solomon. This is son of David. I'm king over Israel. The story behind that will show you exactly what we've been talking about in our introduction this morning. There is incredible good that goes into that. But there's incredible evil that goes into that. And he ends up being king over Israel. And so he declares as he begins. This is Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And it'll do this for you too. Do you remember when Solomon became king? And do you remember that God came to him in a vision and allowed him to make a request? Remember what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. He actually asked for the ability to be discerning and to rule over God's people. <laughs> when you see the background, it'll help you to see 
maybe why that was his request. Because when you think about his grandfather, Jesse, and then you think about his father, David, and then when you think about his half-brothers, Amnon and Absalom, I think it'll help you to see maybe why he asked for wisdom. Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I wonder what Solomon was thinking as he penned those words. And in the book of Proverbs, oftentimes wisdom is personified as a woman that is calling out to you. But also stop and think that oftentimes as Solomon pens these words, who does he address it to? Verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. Do you remember Solomon's son? Do you remember Rehoboam? Do you remember it was some of Rehoboam's decisions that set the course of a nation? And so as you read that and you think about him addressing this and in verse 7 he says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That word fear that is used there is used in Deuteronomy. It can mean terror. It's used in Joshua as respect and it's used in Isaiah as reverence. In this context, I believe the indication would be it's leaning towards reverence. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, the respect is the beginning of knowledge. See, knowledge is that path that the Lord can use to lead us to wisdom. And in that sense, so as we think about the recipients and we think about wisdom calling out, yes, Solomon writes and he says, my son, but at the same time, it's to anybody that is willing to listen. And he's saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what he's saying is, is that it begins with knowledge. But you've got to understand where that knowledge comes from. And then if you have the right kind of knowledge, the Lord can use that path to lead us to wisdom. So here's wisdom. Wisdom's the proper application of knowledge. I want to give you this illustration that I read that I think helps make a lot of sense. Knowledge understands 
that the light has turned red. Wisdom teaches you apply the brakes. Knowledge allows you to see the quicksand and know the danger. Wisdom says walk around. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments. Wisdom obeys them. Knowledge learns of God. Wisdom loves him. So Solomon writes, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he says in verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. So wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. And Solomon writes to his son, and wisdom calls out to any and all that will listen. But secondly, when it gets going, then it gets going. <laughs> I think I figured out maybe what's going on with this thing, but take a little time to uh, get it right. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 2. No wisdom and instruction and to perceive the words of understanding. In verses 4 through 6, he goes on to say, To give prudence to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. So Solomon states from the very beginning that the reason for this writing is to help person a person to be wise, to understand what wisdom is, and to act wisely in life, and to learn how to treat others with fairness, and to give the simple understanding and, and the young sound advice for the life, and, and the older to gain even more wisdom. The Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge defines wisdom like this. A realistic approach to the problems of life. That's, that's the short version. There's more there, but I mean, to cut to the chase. <laughs> A realistic approach to the problems of life. There's another Christian writer that defined it this way. Listen to what he says. Wisdom is insight to the underlying causes of things and events, the significance or consequences of events. In other words, what just happened and why did that happen and how can I avoid making the same mistake? So wisdom gives insight into causes and consequences. I'll give you a quick illustration of the scriptures. The book of James. In James, the fourth chapter. I want you to notice verse, verses uh, one through seven. So wisdom gives insight into cause and effect. Cause and consequences. 
James chapter 4, verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from? So what James is saying is you see it, you know it goes on. So where does that come from? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity towards God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns to jealousy? But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what's James saying? What's the cause? You see these disagreements. You see these wars. You see these conflicts. What's the cause? And he says, well, it's, it's envy. It's jealousy. It's covetousness. It's lust. It's anger. And this is where it leads to. Isn't that essentially what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Be not angry at your brother. And then he explains where anger can lead to. See, because the Jew would look at the Ten Commandments and he says, it says, thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not kill. But Jesus says you get angry and you want to destroy your brother and you may call him a fool. You do everything besides take his life. <laughs> Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus said, but where does that come from? Looking on a woman to lust after her. And so there's, there's cause and there's effect. And wisdom is saying, walk around the quicksand. The light's red. Hit the brakes. So that's what Proverbs is trying to teach us. Not just knowledge, but wisdom. How to apply that. And help us to understand cause and effect. Back to Proverbs once again. Proverbs chapter 3. This time verses 13 through 18. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who take hold of her. And happy are all who retain her. So what's Solomon saying? <laughs> Wisdom's worth more than silver and gold. And this is the way you can have pleasantness 
and happiness and real joy in life. Verse 21, same chapter. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. How many people can't sleep because of the trouble that's in their life? And so Solomon's saying, listen to this. Follow after this. You'll find peace. You'll find you're able to sleep at night. And you won't be afraid all the time. You know, just quickly, Proverbs warns against, in chapter 1, evil companionship. And in chapter 5, it warns against the immoral woman, but... The application is made there, man, also. And in chapter 6, it warns against laziness. So Proverbs is giving you wisdom for life. And God is saying, this is the way life can be lived. And it can be enjoyed the way I intended it to be. See, there is a God of justice and there is a God of wisdom who has set this life in order. And he's saying, if you learn this, you'll see how well this works out. And you'll come to understand that it's worth more than silver and gold. So what's the value of the book? It's generally said that wisdom is gained in a couple of ways. The first way, the way most people get it, is through trial and error. Have you ever heard of the school of hard knocks? And have you ever talked to someone that's gotten on further up in age and they go, oh, if I would have only known back then what I know now. I would have never done that. And see, from the very beginning, in Proverbs chapter 1, in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Have you ever talked to somebody and they say, oh, you're not going to tell me? Maybe you said that. I said it a few times. So I'll just figure out life on my own. And the writer of Proverbs is saying, that's not the way to do it. There's a disadvantage in gaining wisdom that way. First off, a good deal of your life can be wasted just trying to learn things through trial and error. But here's the most, the most devastating part of that. Is that sometimes the mistakes that are made when we're young 
forces us to live with those consequences for the rest of our life. And that's when people will say, oh, if I had only known. And then they live with those consequences. If, if they survive those consequences. Some don't. And they make mistakes that ends their life. So wisdom can be gained through trial and error. But that's a difficult way to learn it. Wisdom can also be learned through the experience of others. And that's what Paul makes reference to over in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, here's where he makes his point. But with most of them, God was not pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things that they also lusted. So what he's saying is God preserved this so that we might learn from it and we might not make the same mistakes that they mistake, uh, same mistakes that they made. And so there's a clear advantage in gaining wisdom that way. First of all, you don't have all the years that are wasted. And then secondly, you won't be burdened with the consequences of those mistakes. And so the proverb, writer of Proverbs is pointing to the third way. There's a better way to gain wisdom. And that's through God's word. Because his word gives us insight. Because he's the one who knows the end from the beginning. Proverb, once again, as someone has explained, it's a short sentence based on a long experience. And the value, most value of Proverbs is that it comes from God himself. And over in James, the first chapter, James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. I want to read to you from Proverbs, the second chapter, in verses 1 through 7. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. James says, if you want wisdom, ask. But the writer of Proverbs says, you got to put some work into it. Yes, ask. But you got to seek it. You got to make your ear attentive to it. You've got to incline your heart to understand it. 
You have got to seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure. But that's a far better way to gain wisdom than the way most people gain wisdom through trial and error. So I'm just going to conclude with that because we'll be talking about some of these other chapters in a few weeks. The first part of Proverbs, I'll just say this as we kind of conclude today. Chapters 1 through 9 really extol the benefits of wisdom. And then the rest of the book uses those illustrations of faith and family and friends and work and all those different areas. The Proverbs chapter 23. I'll turn over there and read right quick. Proverbs chapter 23 at verse 26. The writer says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Back to Proverbs 7 and verses 1 through 4 again. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live, and my law as the apple of your eye. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin. Oh, if we would only do that. The writer of Proverbs is trying to show us that wisdom is a beneficial approach to life. But we have to put forth effort if, if that's what we desire. The writer of the book, Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. The recipient immediately, a son. But wisdom calls to everyone. The purpose of the book is to not make you smart. It's to make you wise. And the value of the book, it's greater than silver and gold. So as we close, I just want to remind you of what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. When he speaks about Jesus Christ, he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's who God desires for us to follow after. That's where we can find true knowledge. That's where we can find true wisdom in Jesus Christ. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Christ, wisdom would teach you to do so, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're a child of God and not been following faithfully, wisdom would tell you to come back and follow him once again. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand and while we sing.